Hello, and welcome to the Cocktails and Conversation podcast. I'm Dana Marie Rockmore, the founder of the Dinner Party Project and co-founder of The Welcome House. I'll be inviting intriguing guests over to my home to chat about some of my favorite things, cocktails, story, the Enneagram, and rest. Hello, friends. Thank you so much for listening in. We have an amazing um, podcast for you today and an amazing drink, and it's got a really fun name. So my friend Terry is on the podcast today, and he is someone that is such a dapper gentleman and so fun to be around and has such a big scope and imagination of the world, and the amount that he pours into Orlando is so incredible. Um, and so as I was planning to have him on, I was thinking of a fun cocktail. He's not a huge drinker, but he um, was kind enough to share a cocktail with me. And I found a drink called Fine and Dandy, which I thought encapsulated Car- um, Terry very well. He is a fine and dandy gentleman, and he has got a very eccentric and fun since a personal style so it kind of went along with the dandiness of terry um and a very very simple recipe to make and it was the first time i've made this um and it was very good and so easy but it was basically an ounce and a half of waterloo gin number nine very easy to drink then it's just an ounce of triple sec a half ounce of lemon juice and then a couple dashes of bitters and you shake all that up into a cocktail um i poured i poured it over a a cube of ice into a rocks glass with a lemon wedge or lemon uh, wheel as a garnish and it was so good so it was definitely a sipper which was great because we had a lot of time to chat and just sip through this very fine and dandy drink while chatting with my friend Terry, who I have known for a really good amount of years, I would like to say, oh man, maybe at least 13 years. I'm trying to think of when I first connected with him, which was probably around 2005 or six. Um, but Terry has been such an influential part of the growth of the arts in Orlando and founded Sack Comedy Club um, 20 years, 21 years ago, and then founded Fringe, the Fringe Festival in Orlando, I think 20 years ago as well. And then he is currently the Office of Arts and Cultural Affairs of Orange County. So he has his hand in a lot of things that happen in this city, and he likes to call himself the art instigator, which I think is such a dad joke, um, but he is a dad, so it works out perfectly, but he is great. He has so much inspiration. He has created Fusion Fest, which I have um, been a part of for the past two years. We'll see if it happens this year, um, but he has a fearless way of leading and a fearless way of promoting people that have really unique and interesting ideas, which I love. He is a wing of an eight, which is the challenger, and just has the capacity to show people how it could be in such a beautiful and dynamic way. So I hope that you will enjoy this conversation with my friend Terry. Hey, Terry. 
Hey, Dania. Welcome to the Cocktails and Conversation podcast. Thank you for being here. I'm glad that I'm here. Yeah. Cheers to you. Well, thank you. All right. I wish we were sitting quite a lot, quite closer to each other, but sadly during these COVID times, we are still keeping distance. Nevertheless, you have a beautiful table between us, so. Thank you. As always, your tables are beautiful. Mm. That is one thing that I do. So, thank you. I do feel very privileged to be mostly, you know, quarantined in my home. Well, you have a, a lovely home as well. I know. I feel all over the place. Incredibly lucky. This, inc- this is a very fun <laughs> dining room that yeah. uh, we're in. It is very fun. Um, so, we are drinking a new drink today that I haven't made before, but I was thinking Terry Olson is coming, and I wanted to find a drink. Hopefully that would match um, the d- delight that it is to be around you. So I was looking online yesterday and I found a drink called Fine and Dandy, which is also how I would characterize you. Fine and Dandy. Fine and Dandy. Yeah. So it's uh, Waterloo Gin and then lemon juice. And then we've got triple sec and then some bitters. And that's it. It's very mm-hmm. simple, very bright floral, not floral, but very lemony, citrusy. Which is good for me because I like fruity things. Fruity things. Fruity things. Yes. yes. When it comes to cocktails, I very much like fruity things a lot. I like them a little on the sweeter side. But this is not very sweet at all. It's kind of very um, even balanced. Yeah. I feel. Yeah. So speaking of cocktails, which is one of my favorite topics, um, (laughs) which I know is not everyone's favorite topics, but... um, I would love to know if there's any any drink that is maybe a go-to drink or if you're going to have one drink out somewhere or if you were to have a glass of something that you really enjoy. What would be a go-to drink for Terry? Well, I I would very rarely order uh, an alcoholic drink. Sure. Um, but I do enjoy, um, with our Fusion Fest we're having monthly diversitastic dining experiences where we yeah. uh, dive into the cuisine and culture of a particular culture. Right. And I do like tasting whatever it is. So when we had our, in July was our Russian um, dinner. Mm-hmm. We had a shot of Russian uh, okay. vodka. Um, Did you have a white Russian there? No. Did they have it? No, just the shot of vodka. Yeah. Okay. Uh, at the Diversitastic Dining events, there will be a beverage. It's not always alcohol. If it is alcohol, it's uh-huh. like one taste, basically. Okay. But then um, if they have alcoholic service, you can order more on your own bill. But sure. the ticket gets you the meal and the experience and the entertainment and, and a beverage, uh, which I, has not always been alcoholic. but Right. Okay. So you always just kind of enjoy what is in periphery to you. I like experiencing uh, a taste of a taste of whatever. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Have there been any places in Orlando that you have really enjoyed grabbing a drink or a meal or can you give me like top three hmm. ordering places that we would find you ordering from? Or in the past being at? Well, right now what's coming to mind are our various diversitastic dining experiences. Mm-hmm. So Boy Brazil 
and we had a um what was the name of that kind of punch that they served um a brazilian that has lime in it okay. um juice but it was kind of pinkish colored um, um yeah did it know. start with the c it's like cur- cura could be (laughs) could be i don't remember i remember and at our uh, at the nile ethiopian restaurant we had um the honey wine which is very good i like that very much okay honey wine yes kind of a a mead a mead is a honey wine okay but i don't think i've ever even heard of that yeah all right it's sweet and light right so um, you very much gravitate towards international flavors is what I guess so. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Good. I feel like I, I need to branch out also more. And we do have a plethora of incredible international cuisine in our backyard. We have a lot of great things on this side of town. And then we have a lot of great things on the attraction side of town. Yep. To be enjoyed and discovered for sure are you still doing this program during this season the diversity testing dining yeah yes uh we started in january so the first one was our ethiopian right. and um brazilian and vietnamese which was march 12th oh, whoa so everything shut down on the 13th yes so we did not we do got that just barely yes. got that in there uh it was just kind of at the fringes of um awareness sure at that time we did have one person that came with a facial covering to that event who was a little more in tune with the news and what was going on in the world right than than the rest of us but um so we did not do april or may and then we started up again uh at the end of june okay so uh we did turkey and then july um then russia and august was our south pacific and um this thursday is our um <laughs> my brain's just gone um thursday we are doing the caribbean haiti a haitian okay. evening where is that justin's caribbean fusion restaurant i think i'm not it is that. on uh, Turkey Lake, corner of Turkey uh-huh. Lake and Conroy. Ah, uh-huh. okay. It's and it's gonna be a, a because we film a little commercial before each one. Right. I just have to eat the food that they put down in front of me for the Obviously. commercial. So <laughs> right. I, you already know how delicious I do. It is. I do. Right. It's great. Well, that's why you have to taste it to be able to talk about it. Yeah. If you don't know firsthand experience and you don't know what you're talking about. Right. So good. That works out very well for you. Yes. Yes. That is a, a huge uh, blessing. And that's so fun. And we're doing just one more um, in October. Uh, we are we doing uh, Portugal at, at Lisbon. Okay. Very seafood heavy. Usually. It'd be... Um, I again I don't remember all the names but a, a seafood casserole kind mm. of thing and um, and a meat I think it's going to be a pork so there's two 
if we can, we prefer to have little bits of several things. Mm -hmm. So we get uh, a more full feel of that culture. Cuisine. Oh, yeah. Tasting menu is always my favorite way to go because you get exposed to so much instead of just like one huge entree or something. And then that's mostly it. That's crazy. So the fun part about this podcast is sharing our story and getting to know folks in this incredible community. Um, and you have a lot of experience in the world, a lot of different. Yes, I've been around a long time. (laughs) (laughs) And that gives us so much to work with, which is the best part about this. And so it's really fun to know how people obviously have grown into their different roles that they've had over the years and just with the reality that we don't choose where we're placed on the planet and we don't choose our family of origin we don't really choose our dna and we don't choose so much and we're just kind of placed and like most humans we're all trying to figure it out as as we go um so it would be fun to kind of start at the beginning of your story and kind of tell us exactly where you started out life and like what your early years were like and what it was like the vibe of growing up in your household and your parents and what that all sure what that all felt like i was born and had my first six years in a little town seven miles from the canadian border in minnesota mm-hmm. uh, actually in the country but minnesota, so, minnesota. Mm-hmm. and um my parents were both born there and they were from kind of the two biggest families in the county. Okay. Um, so had lots, lots of relatives and uh, we were on a farm. My dad was uh, working in the school system, but we did have sheep and cows and that's what I remember. I understand they had chickens before. Um, farm life. Yeah. Yeah. So, and we had a dog. <laughs> I actually have a memory of biting the dog. Oh. Man bites dog. No, <laughs> child, baby bites dog. Okay. It was just very hairy. But I just had a feeling like I wanted to bite Take the a dog. Bite out of? So I did. Um, I, par- probably the dog. Um, the, what the, type of dog was, are we talking it about? It was a collie. Okay. And the, the road, the highway road it was it was paved during my years there so we went by our house and my mom told me that if i would go toddling out towards the road the dog would get in front of me so i would get frustrated at the dog and try to go around and the dog would keep me from getting on the road right so um one day you weren't having it maybe that's why (laughs) (laughs) anyway i just have the memory of a mouthful of hair did the dog so, retaliate? No. No. I'm sure I probably didn't even get to its skin, you know. Right. Okay. Little mouth and right. lots of hair. And so do you have any siblings? I had, uh, my, my mom had a, a girl a uh, year and a half after I, but she um, didn't develop at all. She was completely retarded. So mm-hmm. she was with us until I was in first grade. We, we moved. Mm-hmm. Uh, before I started first grade to um, another little town of 317 people in um, central or 
farther south in Minnesota. Okay. Where my dad was the superintendent of the school. Uh, it was one school. It was one building. <laughs> first grade to high school. Oh, right. And, and he was a superintendent. So uh, we lived for three years in that town. And then moved to an Indian reservation in Minnesota. Okay. My dad was superintendent of schools. And there were actually three schools in that school district. A little different than the Orange County public schools with about 200 schools. but Right. Um, so you get a pretty rural experience. Yes. Growing up. And then those four years on an Indian reservation were probably formative as well since i was a minority student sure and uh very much picked on it was um a brutal place to live i would say so when my dad said we were going to move to alaska uh-huh i was like great you're ready uh, anywhere is great so mm -hmm. we packed up um an old school bus, took out all the seats, packed it up with all our stuff. I had a luggage rack on top with tires. Uh, the, the, the school bus pulled a boat on a trailer. My mom drove a car with a trailer behind it. So we had like 18 tires on the road. It's like a caravan. Yep. Just and headed up to Alaska, which was 1300 miles of unpaved road to get oh, to Alaska. Wow. It was the Alaska Highway. That's an adventure. It was an adventure, very much so. How, how old at this time? Like, uh, 13, I think. Oh, okay. 12 or 13. Got it. So, um, yes, and we had never been to the town we were moving to. So. And was it for his job? Yep, he had yeah. a job. He'd interviewed over the phone and um, taken a job as a principal at the elementary school in Seward, Alaska. Okay. So the day before we arrived, which was in August, before school started, right? we um, stayed at a motel. Probably we were, I don't know, 60 miles from town or something, but washed our vehicles so we yeah. looked presentable. And you go up over the mountain and then you come down into... Um, Seward is a port city. It's gorgeous with mountains surrounding mm. it all around. You you can't really see the mouth of the uh, the bay, right? Because um, there's islands out there as well. And it was the Silver Salmon Derby, which is their biggest event. The what? Silver Salmon Derby. Okay. Oh, so Silver a, Salmon Derby. A fishing derby. So okay. There were no rooms. For rent, no hotel or motel. Everything was no vacancy because it's full of people uh, right. uh, fishing. Um, so here we are, <laughs> town we've never been in. There's no place to stay. <laughs> uh, and my dad wasn't ready to like buy a house or rent a house. Right. We didn't really know that much about the place yet, but he did find a house that was for rent and convinced them to rent it to us for a week. And um, in that week, we found another house that he rented on a monthly basis until we actually did buy a house okay. um, sometime later that year. But um, started school in this town. And it was so nice to be in a place where people didn't want to beat me up all the time. It was just... What a, re I thought what it a was revelation. Just nice. It, yeah. From a different perspective now, it was a, it was a rough town too. It was a... Um, 
longshoreman's kind of town. Mm -hmm. So it was the capital of prostitution for Alaska. <laughs> so it, um, although it seemed really just nice to me in comparison to my last four years. Sure. Um, in, in reality, it was kind of a rough town anyway. But you also kind of like knew, like in a kid's perspective, like all, all that you could know. And, and so it probably had a very different... Uh, well, in ninth grade, one of my one of my classmates was pregnant, and uh -huh. um, so you know it was right. There was a there was a building down by the docks. So this was just a few years after the Alaska Great Alaska earthquake. So okay. big portion of the town, excuse me, <laughs> had been destroyed by tidal wave. Oh, basically the red light district had all been destroyed. Whoa! Um, but there was a building down by the water that was a hangout place for kids. It was kind of like a basement, and there were dark corners back in there were i'm not sure what all was going on <laughs> i didn't go there very often but once right. twice um uh, don't ask me what that was but it was a place where kids could go and do whatever they wanted to do sure um as teenagers kind of, often kind of strange kind of it was probably under a bar i think i, right. I actually don't remember what was terry like in like middle school high school like, what was your vibe well, um, I was a nerdy little kid. Okay. <laughs> um, what were you into? What was I into? Well, I was in the Boy Scouts there uh, at Seward. M my dad had been a Boy Scout as a kid. And on the Indian reservations, I had found his old Boy Scout manuals and thought it was really cool mm -hmm. looking at this stuff. And But they didn't have Boy Scouts uh, on an Indian reservation. But when I got to Seward, they had a troop. So I joined up and I went through the ranks like as fast as you could yeah. kind of thing. But after three years, we moved to another part of um, Alaska. So you moved, you kind of bounced around a good bit. I lived in five places before um, I went to college. Okay. And there was a, a Boy Scout troop in this new town, but it was like, by that time, I was a junior in high school, and these were like younger kids. But I had my Eagle Scout left; it was the is the top uh, rank okay. to get. So I wanted to finish that. I joined the troop, and ended up being the scout master for taking these kids to summer camp at the the Boy Scout summer camp. Because mm -hmm. um, I guess no adult would do it, and by that time I was a senior and. <laughs> Um, they allowed you they had, to... They trusted it to me. Right. <laughs> and partly, I guess, because I was selected for the Alaska troop going to the National Jamboree in Idaho. So I had gone to this camp for a week of being uh, part of the troop that was going to go. Yeah. And then the next week, my kids came, and then I was a scoutmaster. So I went from being... Uh, a plebe to being in the scoutmaster's quarters okay. and um <laughs> so it's kind Feel of cool yes of yeah. course <laughs> um so the same staff members that had you know treated me like a kid before now yeah, i was their equal so. yeah <laughs> um you had a and there i also 
seen literature about water skiing and, and some things from mm-hmm. Cypress Gardens. And, oh, I wanted to go water skiing. Well, at the Boy Scout camp, they had water skiing. Okay. And I was so um, mentally prepared. I got right up. And I dropped a ski and slalomed around the lake oh my, my very first time. Whoa. Because I was ready for it. Right. I had thought about it and I wanted to do it. And I finally had a chance and to do it. And you pulled it off? Yeah. Okay. You want to hear a funny story? When I was a kid, I grew up in Virginia. But my grandmother, um, my my dad's parents grew up in College Park off of Lake Adair. And so they were in this area. And then for some reason they had known about Cypress Garden. So when I was quite young, probably, I don't know, seven to 10, they had sent us a VHS of Cypress Garden. And I watched that thing till I probably, it probably broke, like the tape (laughs) probably broke in the VCR. Uh, The water skiing and then the girls with the the big hoop dresses. Mm -hmm. I watched that on repeat. now I think Cypress Garden is part of Legoland. It, Legoland is right. there where so Cypress Garden So I've been to Legoland, was. and so I kind of saw it, and then I was like, <clears> oh, <throat> my word. This was my childhood. Well, when I was in college, I went back to Minnesota for college. Okay. And I guess it was my senior year, we did a spring break trip to Florida. Yeah. And my friend Gary Lindman and I went to Cypress Gardens. Um, saw the ladies in their <laughs> skirts, took pictures with them, and right. went on the little boat rides, and um, saw the water ski show. Sure. So many years later, I got, saw it. Were realized. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Pretty cool. So you went to college for what? Well, I was a good student. My parents were both educators. Right. And and your sister was not really living with you. No. Currently. So when I was in first grade, we put her in an institution, Uh uh, the Brainerd State Hospital uh, at that time. And and she was in facilities then until she became an adult and she Mm -hmm. became a ward of the state. So, but she was never, um, she she was not cognizant of anything. Uh She wasn't blind, but she she didn't recognize kind of she couldn't feed herself or sit up or she didn't recognize anything right um so there's no relationship to be had no with her yeah no so mostly your only child yes i would say i was raised as an only child definitely right that's an interesting place to like story to be in yeah and uh, interesting about that circle of life is that my daughter uh, was conceived about the same time that my sister died. Mm. So this, like in the same week, oh, wow. um, we found out one thing and another. And right. Wow. So college was back in Minnesota. Yes. For. The education and in the education world, or well, uh, as I was starting to say, I was or... a I was a good student. Mm-hmm. Um, I figured, oh, my parents are an educators. I'd probably be an educator. My high school counselor said, "Oh, you can do better than that." When I reported that to my parents, <laughs> they weren't They're too happy, happy with that. <laughs> oh but um, I so I started out as a math and science major in college, but. Okay. 
in the college I went to, Bethel College, was um, a, a school that the the denomination of the church that I went to in that little town of Pillager okay. supported. In fact, they were building a new campus, and when I was a kid, I pledged five cents of my allowance <laughs> to the building fund for Bethel Sorry. College. Gracious of you. And I was totally in love with my pastor's daughter, Mary. Ah. She was a few years older than me, three years older than me. And, um, so you think it's like you're going to come back in soon? soon well, I f and I figured she'd be at Bethel because both her parents had graduated from Bethel. So I always planned to go to Bethel because... She was going to be there. Of course. But then she had transferred to Wheaton. So um, ah. uh, she wasn't there. Spoiled. <laughs> All those many years later. And of course, it wasn't really at the forefront of my brain anyway. But, right. um And then we... My freshman year was on the old campus, and then we moved to this new campus. They had totally built a brand new campus, in from, moved from St. Paul out to the suburbs of Arden Hills. So those little five cent contributions, I helped build this place, and now I'm here. Right. And um, as I said, math and science. But my first class was a uh, calculus. It seems to me it was like at. 6.45 in the morning. It was very early in the morning. And um, I had not taken math my senior year of high school because I'd kind of taken, a, you know, I was a good student. I passed all the things and yeah. didn't need to. Mm -hmm. And it was just incomprehensible to me. There was this old teacher and I would read the assignment and I would do it and I think I understand it. And I would go and he would talk and it'd be totally different. And I was like, uh, and meanwhile, I had auditioned for a play that was going to be going to tour in Europe in January. Had you done theater before college? Yeah. Okay. Uh, in high school, I did my junior class play and my senior class play. And I always, I always like to show off. So even yeah, as a clearly. kid, um, it, on the Indian reservation, we lived on the compound where the white people lived. Mm -hmm. And um, so there were a couple guys and, and we did some, some little shows. And even before that, in Pillager, my neighbors, um, we did some kind of show in the yard. I wasn't the organizer, but right. um, Cheryl, I think her name was. Uh, was a little bit older and her brother was a little bit younger and, and we did a little show and mm -hmm. the bad neighbor kids that they went into uh, across the street and stole some old tomatoes from a garden and threw them at us right with our parents <laughs> sitting in the audience um, but yeah so I had done that and um, and in in high school I had done the plays and had um, my junior class I had a leading role it was called Stardust, and I was the Russian professor of the drama school. And um, so the next year we were doing a play called Dino. And so I knew that I would be getting the part of the father because it was an accent part as well. Okay. Of course, I, I wanted to be like the lead again, but no. Um, but because I had been the Russian professor, um, uh, I... I, I did indeed get the father role and I have a fight with Dino, the lead of this play, and I smack him and I dislocated his jaw. Oh, Lord. And he was a really cool kid in the in the school. Like he right. was like, you know, one of the 
super popular. The James Dean type right. in school. Um, and I, I dislocated his jaw. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, um, I got into the play in college mm -hmm. and I also auditioned for the, the choir and the choir was going to Europe at the same time. So I couldn't be in both. I, um, the choir was much stricter and they had rehearsal like Friday afternoon. And since I'd been from Minnesota, I had a relative that worked in the Twin Cities, but would drive up to War Road where I was born, where all my relatives were mm -hmm. on the weekends. But, you know, you'd leave like at noon or something on Friday. So uh, I dropped the choir, stayed with the, 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 the play and really for the first time saw professional theater in Europe, in mm. Germany and in, in England. And even though I couldn't understand what was happening in Germany, I was so enthralled at they created a whole new world mm -hmm. of a different time period or whatever. And um, so you're like probably 1920 at this point? Me, 18 or 19, probably. Okay. Was it, was it your freshman year you went? Yeah. To? Oh, yeah. wow. My oh, freshman year. Awesome. So I'd only had a year of calculus and other general courses. And then I came back and said, I think major in something I like. So again, it was either right. music or theater and um, the theater program seemed uh, more flexible. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I did. And okay. Off I went. And off you went after college. How did your trajectory in life bring you around to Orlando? <sighs> well, my freshman year at Bethel, mm -hmm. there was a professor, Steve Terrell, and I was in a play that he did. Uh, it's called Firebugs. And he had started a theater company, a Christian street theater company mm -hmm. called Lamb's Players. And they were going to move to California <laughs> that summer after my freshman year. And they did. And then uh, the next year started and Steve wrote and said, do you want to come spend the summer with us, like as an intern? So I did. I did that. I spent um, that summer out at Lamb's Players. And when I was there, a guy named Bob Yurkus, who had a circus, um, <laughs> had invented this game called Jacob's Ladder. Okay. That you might see at fairs or carnivals where it's a rope ladder. You try to climb up and it flips over and you fall off. And... Um, he was going to give one to Lambs players because Lambs was going to come to Minnesota to the Renaissance Festival and it was something we could use to make money. So um, another uh, person in the troupe and I, um, Richard Turner, who is the world's best card mechanic, he's known in those circles worldwide. Uh, he and I went out and got this Jacob's Ladder and learned how to climb it. So. Then I went back to college in Minnesota. Last Paris came for the Renaissance Festival. And on the weekends, I'd go out and run the ladder while they were doing their shows at the festival. A few years later, Herb Hansen, who had been one of the founders of Lambs Players at Bethel, mm -hmm. um, came back to Minnesota to finish his college degree, which he hadn't. And... Lambs decided not to come to the Minnesota Renaissance Festival. So Herb got five of us together that had been in Lambs to perform at the Minnesota Renaissance Festival, run Jacob's Ladder, which mm -hmm. we could, knew we could make money at. And um, 
but we didn't want to pay to be a vendor. We, we wanted to be entertainers. So we said we would do shows and we didn't know what to do. And uh, Herb and Burnell and Craig uh, came up with the idea to have a sack full of costume pieces and gather a crowd and tell a story and put costume pieces on the audience members and have them be characters in the story that we're telling. Huh. And so we did that and became very successful and Zach started touring around the country. And uh, by that time I had been teaching at a college and I quit and went full time with um, with Zach. And then Disney was creating Epcot Center and saw us and said, hey, you've got that Commedia d'arte feel. How about doing something for our Italy pavilion? And so we moved nine people to Orlando for the opening ah. of Epcot Center. And this is in 80s? 82, 1982. Okay. And um, October 1st. It opened, and by Thanksgiving, they had asked us to bring another troupe um, to the United Kingdom Pavilion. Mm -hmm. And so we had seven years of performances in UK and Italy, and we wow. did things for the United um, so you opened Future World. Epcot. Mm hmm. Uh huh. For seven years. Yep. Right. So by then, I was um, fully ensconced here in Orlando and loving it. Right. And been here ever since. Um, I would love to know how um, it came about for you starting SAC Comedy Club. Well, after those seven years, Disney kept wanting us to be their employees, not contract. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> So you could do other things. They talked about buying our company, but they didn't really offer any money. And um, so they hired people to copy us mm -hmm. um, and, and, and didn't renew our contract for the eighth year. Right. At that time, we had been exploring improvisation because our shows were improvisational in a way. I mean, we had just kind of made them up, audience? Oh, but okay. they, they became scripted, but there were different um, lot. You know, the story was basically the same each time we told it, but we would respond to an audience in different ways. Mm -hmm. Sometimes there's like a script might say, if they do this, you do this, this, or this, or this, or you just have an improv spirit too, but not full improv shows. Um, so when the Epcot contract ended around the same time, there was the block of buildings downtown between Church Street and Pine, between Orange and Court that were being vacated. They were gonna be raised for what's now the, the, the plaza building or is that what it's still called? I'm not sure. The one that's right on the corner by the plaza? The one that has the cinema in it. Right. Um, oh yeah, yeah, it is the plaza. Yeah, the plaza, the two buildings. Yeah. Yeah. But there was an economic downturn just then and so they, those buildings were sitting empty mm. and the city contacted us and said, 
would you like to have one of these buildings for free for six months? You just have to pay for utilities. And um, basically they wanted to put some civic or arts groups. Yeah. Because it, it, it's the heart of downtown. Mm -hmm. It's like vacant buildings. It, needs, it has to have bodies in it. So we said, sure. And we moved in and um, there was no air conditioning. And so we were like buying dry ice and putting it in the, in the vents <laughs> and turning the fan oh, on Lord. to start with. Uh, oh. But it was great. And this was 2008? Uh, no, this would be uh, 91. Oh, no. Yeah. Wow. My timing is way off. 91. Wow. So. That's amazing. And then yeah. you founded a comedy troupe. Yep. Right? So then uh, we were still doing Renaissance festivals and some corporate uh, work. But uh, the, the comedy lab became the primary thing. And, right. And because we had this festivals background of Renaissance festivals, and then I took a SAC troupe to the Fringe Festival in Edinburgh, mm -hmm. we, we thought we should, we should, and we had helped manage some of the festivals, the, the Bay Area Renaissance Festival of Largo and mm -hmm. the Kansas City Renaissance Festival. Um, we should start a festival. And so uh, a couple of us went to a meeting with the Fringe Festivals of Canada mm -hmm. and said, so we're thinking of starting it because we'd start doing those as well. And because um, they were already established other places around the country. Around Canada. Around Canada, not in the U.S.? No. The, there was oh. one that started before us in Seattle and okay. it has it, it's not. That's not around no anymore. Yeah. Uh, and we're thinking maybe a year or so from now we start and they're like, do it, do it now. Do it like this spring. This was November. Okay. And because we knew a lot of them, because we had performed and um, actually been a really big hit at the Edmonton, which is the largest one. And um, so we said, okay, in April, we're going to do <laughs> a 10 day fringe festival. Yeah. And then we... You did Somehow it. Somehow did it. Yeah. That's pretty incredible. And what year was that? Was that? That was 92. Okay. So really close to starting the year doing two kind of big, starting too big. Yeah. I mean, when it ha obviously has grown into big things, but I mean, you're putting in the structure for two things that have lasted for 20 years. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So along the way, you picked up a beautiful wife. Mm-hmm. Who's mm -hmm. one of my favorite lovely humans <laughs> that I know of. Robin Olson. Yes. And how did that materialize in your life? Well. This episode of Cocktails and Conversation is brought to you by The Dinner Party Project. The Dinner Party Project is all about connecting humans around the dinner table. Right now, we are mostly based in Orlando, Florida. Whether it's joining seven strangers in an intimate setting around a dinner table or sitting in the street of Orange Avenue with 100 others watching flamethrowers, we love helping people feel connected to others and their city. We also offer private parties. So if you have a birthday, anniversary, team building dinner, or corporate event coming up, 
we can create a custom memorable event that you and your guests won't soon forget. We also help brands connect with their consumers by exposing their product in an elevated way to their target demographic. So if you live in the Orlando area, haven't joined us yet, what are you waiting for? We can't wait to hear your story around the dinner table. For more information, you can visit us at thedinnerpartyproject.co. I was going to a conference in Texas, uh, Christians and Theater Arts, and I had said to my um, secretary, um, you know, it's been a long time since I've had any romance in my life. Last, last, my last girlfriend I met in Texas at a conference. And, you know, just a passing thought. Mm -hmm. And um, when I went there, there was this gal in one of the seminars asking some really great questions. I wanted to meet her. She had been in a troupe that had come and performed in Orlando, the 80 players. And whenever they came, I would go see them and maybe take one of them to see a show or something like that. And there was had been a really really great actress in in the the troupe mm -hmm. this has been a year or more before that um so anyway she knew me because we had met then i didn't recall that but okay. so she was coming over to say hi to terry and okay i was going to say <laughs> hi to this person with the great questions right and um we ended up hanging around the um going to all the same workshops at the at the convention and stuff okay. like that and um, uh, another friend from that company invited me over for dinner one night and she was there. And, like, well, and so we just talked a lot. Anyway, right. it was fun. So I came back to Orlando and my secretary said, so are any sparks? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, there were. And then I was busy producing The Fringe. And, um, and at the time we had a... a had a newsletter and if you sent five dollar donation you could be on the newsletter list and got a check from robin and like ah. she's interested right and then i'm producing the fringe and a month or two later i got a call from her because i guess we hadn't deposited that check she's like, <laughs> like oh, she's interested in me uh anyway took quite a while um but that fall, I was going to a festivals and events conference in Texas. And my secretary said, are you going to see that girl? I'm like, good idea. Call her up and say, hey, what are you, what are you doing Friday night? Um, you want to come down to San Antonio? Or it's like, no, I'm in a show. I'm like, oh, really? Well, you know, I think my flight goes through Houston. Maybe I can stop off and um, see the show. And. So it just so happened then that for the next um, four months, every month I was going through Houston for something. So um, just randomly. Yeah. Yeah. And then basically we saw each other once a month for 10 months. And on the 10th date, we got married. Whoa. All right. 10th date you got married. Yeah, 10 months later. 10 months later. I mean, those dates were like a weekend or, you know, whatever. Yeah. All right. And here you are. Yep. A million years later. It's pretty cool. And I was 41 at the time. So right. we had both had um, a lot of life on our own. Mm -hmm. 
And so um, merging into one life at, you know, halfway through your life is, right. is an interesting um, proposition and right. not without its bumps. That um, you have both fought for it. Yeah. And probably a lot of beautiful moments along the way. Yeah. Yep. So I would love for you to share with us what your current role slash roles are because you do so much um, and how you kind of got to the position that you are now and the things that you have created within that position um, and what you're kind of still doing farting around Orlando. <laughs> well, let me go back a few years. Okay. So after 21 years of being with SAC and running SAC and my, my title, there was Grand Poobah at the time. Okay. <clears throat> we had a consultant in that um, did corporate uh, consulting and also career consulting. And he had us go through this exercise envisioning something and I envisioned this person kind of landing in this meadow outside of a village and the people coming out and creating events and they're a better community for that and go back and then he flies off somewhere else. My interpretation of for that for me was that I, I like creating things, not really that big on owning things and mm -hmm. you know the stability of that but mm -hmm. here I am an owner of SAC and 21 years and um at the same time, um, the theater critic here, Elizabeth Maupin at the time, was writing a series of articles about need for a theater district to come together. And uh, I got some friends together uh, that have been with me in SAC and asked them to pray about, I think I might leave SAC after two decades. Mm -hmm. And um, they kind of affirmed, uh, yeah, I think you should do that. So I told Zach, I think I'm going to leave and run this new organization that's just starting called the Central Florida Theater Alliance. Although there's not a position that hasn't been announced. They don't have any, haven't interviewed. They don't even have money for it, but I think that's what I'm going to do. And six months later, that's what happened. Uh, they started running this um, alliance of our theaters, mm -hmm. which became the... Um, Central Performing Arts Alliance, then became the Arts and Cultural Alliance, and then merged into United uh, Arts as marketing. Oh, it merged into United Arts, mm -hmm. which is still around. But in the meantime, after four years of that, okay. the county had a task force on arts and culture. And so I would stuck my nose in to see what they were doing, went to their community meetings and stuff, and they were recommending to create an Office of Arts and Cultural Affairs mm -hmm. to dedicate... 3% of the first four cents of the tourist development tax to the arts and have an arts council, arts and culture affairs advisory council. So they were going to hire, I'm like, Oh, not another bureaucrat. And someone right. said, well, why don't you, why don't you uh, go for it? So I interviewed and it seemed like all my life experiences were coming right together mm -hmm. to head the office of arts and cultural affairs. Right. So I've been there almost 20 years, 19 years. Whoa. And have been able to help see other people and our community grow and um, become the dynamic community that it is today. Yes. Um, and recently, in the past couple of years, you've also created something sure. that is near and dear to, <laughs> to you. Yes. So I like to call, uh, this is not my official government title, but I like to say my title is Orange County's Chief Arts Instigator. Right. And with that position, I've been able to 
pull the community together for different things. Um, the Orlando goes wild about Oscar Wilde celebration or what the Dickens Orlando. And he also did the, the Dickens Christmas Yes. Story, right? Yes. What was it? The Christmas. Dickens by Candlelight. Dickens by Candlelight. I went to that a couple times. That's another story, but let me finish this one. Um, So. Uh, Mayor Jacobs in her second term was interested in knowing how we support diversity. And I called some folks together and we came up with some ideas that would require a budget and nothing happened. And a year later, um, the uh, president of the Caribbean Cultural Association and the head of the African Leaders Council came to me and said, can't we do these things we talked about? Mm-hmm. Um, so I went back to my bosses and said, can I, do you mind if I help lead these groups uh, as a grassroots effort to create something? And that was, yeah, sure. So uh, in November of 2017, mm-hmm. We called together about 60 people, different heritages, before different heritages, and talked about how do you share your heritage and listed things. And what came out at the top was festival and a parade. So, okay, if we're going to do a, a iconic event, when would be a memorable time to do that? And things and came out with Thanksgiving weekend because it's memorable. When is it? It's Thanksgiving weekend. It's also great weather then. Right. It's also nothing else is happening then. Um, it's also really appropriate to be thankful for our diversity. Mm-hmm. Um, so in 2018, we started a, a steering committee that's met monthly since then, about 40 people from heritages all over the world, and then started doing some gatherings, uh, what we call gathering of nations every other month, focusing on a particular aspect of culture. Like the first one was food. Everyone brought food. We all ate, loved it. Like, yeah, let's bring food to all of our meetings. Um, but then we looked (laughs) at, doesn't like food. Yeah. Music, dance, um, arts and culture, our stories, looked at different things. And that ended up, then in 2019, 2018, um, creating the first festival. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so 2018, 2019, it doubled in, in attendance. And uh, we're all set for big continuation this year. Mm-hmm. And then um, yeah. COVID hit. But mm-hmm. at this point, we are still planning to have an in-person festival. Thanksgiving weekend. Really? We've got lots of COVID um, precautions set. Uh, The whole area will be a big grid and you don't move into the next box until it's empty. Just stay in your six foot square. Mm -hmm. Um, But there's there's lots of variables still. So, um, but we haven't been denied anything yet. So we're moving ahead until somebody says, nope, you can't do that. Right. Working with Dr. Phillips Center, who is working on making that whole plaza a kind of a semi-permanent festival site with a a outdoor stage and seating pods. And so if they get those plans um, done, they may do a lot of work for us actually for the festival, but it's getting close now. So in the next two weeks, we'll be making a decision. 
to see if it's a go or if um, we will be switching to a virtual and we are going to have an element that's a virtual festival. Okay. We found a, a platform called Topia that um, is it's a cross between a video game, Zoom, Facebook and promotion. So you go into this world, you have a little person, you walk around, you meet other people, and then your your Zoom is up and you can talk to the person in real time. You can go and then there can be, you can go to the dance stage and there can be videos of dance. Okay. Um, so it's, uh, it's really a fun platform, which we're going to have as a festival Friday the day before. Okay. But it, um, it could expand to be the whole festival. Right. Oh, you've had so much um, different like roads that you have kind of navigated to to kind of I feel like be like you said in the position that you're in right now. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Why is diversity important to you? I did a pachakacha talk about that. Personally, I think my time on the Indian reservation as a minority student, although I'm certainly of the, the larger dominant culture there, and my dad was a superintendent of schools, but it was not a pleasant time. And then also Alaska, which is this place where there's people from all over. It's, it is the last frontier. Every range of the spectrum you have. Along with with my parents, uh, when we were on, Indo on the Indian reservation in the summers, we would travel around the United States and see relatives and different people. So I love people. Combine that with who we are as Orlando. Mm -hmm. We are an incredibly diverse community. Yeah. We've grown from in 2000, where 42% of the population would be called um, uh, diverse to now 60% of the population would fit in that non-white English as a first language uh, kind of population. Right. So it just makes sense. And performing at Epcot Center, performing at World's Fairs in Australia and Canada. Um, and um, also probably coming out of my faith and understanding of God's love for us. Mm. So it just, um, it's fun. Uh, I think it's right and important. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so kind of along the same lines of all the things that you love to do, and I've never known, um, maybe besides my dad, someone who loves to <clears> just <throat> like be out and experience all the things and engage with people. And, you know, if there's a party to just live it up and to enjoy what life has to offer. Um, the next topic is the Enneagram, which is one of my favorite subjects, <laughs> <laughs> which I know we refreshed you on this morning. Yes. I had to call my wife and say, what's my numbers. Right. <laughs> but, uh, your wife, and I would confirm and that you just live and personify, I would think would be a seven with an eight wing. That's what the tests have said. Right. <laughs> um, so you if you want to reduce me to a number. <laughs> we're not here to reduce anybody to a number. 
Uh, you know that. Uh, but I think the Enneagram does help to give language to how we are also created very differently. Um, Definitely. So even in your perspective, I think for me, I don't know how much you've learned about it, but um, it really has given language and awareness to other people that they don't operate in the same way and their minds and brains are not formulated to react to life in the same way that I am. And so having to hold space, you know, for myself and hold space for other people. And um, you and your wife are also pretty different folks and how you, you know, can love each other well as humans, even though you don't have maybe, you know, you don't, your operating systems are pretty different. Very much so. Right. How do you think like, and especially being in leadership that you've been in for a very long time, I mean, having to really have that awareness and if you want to lead well, knowing knowing the kind of differences that people operate in and coming to. Well, I certainly well. think that it, there, that I have had a long time of learning some things about my natural thing is everyone should just be like me. Come on. It's the best. Um, that's, that's my natural. Right. Sure. Um, my wife tried to convince me that we're very different before we got married. I'm like, no, we got like similar goals. And, um, she's right. We are very different. Right. And we've learned that. So, I think I have learned some things. Right. I, I probably wish I was more cognizant of those, how other people operate mm. than I am. Mm -hmm. Like I've been to an Enneagram workshop and we spent, you know, a half day or I don't know, six hours right. learning about stuff, but kind of, whew, okay, well, what's my next project? <laughs> uh -huh. So, um, Having to slow down and internalize that information of yeah, it was a while ago as well. How but, other um, people are built. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Does that enter your consciousness like any more frequently, or like as you are leading your team? You know, does it come into any thoughts of like I understand that not everyone is going to approach this or have the energy to be participatory in the ways that I can show up? So I don't think I consciously think about, oh, they're this different kind of person, but I think I have become much more able to listen. So to hear a person like, okay, they're exhausted or they're, this is affecting them greatly. Mm -hmm. So I can relate to them better in the way that's going to be for them. Not that I'm consciously thinking about what's, it's more from just listening and being open to that person is a unique person. And, mm. um, and I'm, I'm interested in having an adult to adult relationship. So mm -hmm. I, that means I want to know what you want. I'll respond to you, how, I, I'll either say yes or no to your request. And I want to tell you what my requests are. And you can say yes or no to that. We're, mm. we're both adults. That's adult adult relationship. So right. um, I would say transactional analysis, which is just the language I was just using, um, was more formative for me. That was kind of back in college years when I, I read that. And the, 
I'm okay, you're okay book, I think it was. That was really a opening my eyes kind of thing to, oh, I, I see that some of this miscommunication is because I'm not listening to what the person's saying, but what the words are or what mm, the, the inference mm-hmm. and the meaning also and, and, and vice versa. Right. So, uh, that, that communication can get all messed up with all kinds of stuff. Right. And I think part of the Enneagram is the reality that we need all the types and that we need, you know, all the personality, um, types. So the reality is we can't do everything on our own and we need, we need all of the ways that, um, that we've been created very uniquely to come together to, you know, pull off projects or, you know, the way that diversity leads us to live a more full life versus just like you were saying like, oh, everyone should just be like me in this one little, or not one little, but just one um, facet. facet of personality and, and facet of, you know, the way things are produced in life. But for your endeavors, you know, over the years, it's, you know, probably been a huge mix of people to be able to come together to pull off great things. And I've probably learned through hurting people. Mm-hmm. Um, I know a good friend of mine that uh, was a couple, a couple of good friends of mine that were involved with helping to produce one of the things that we did at one point. And at the end, they were kind of like, you've I could see that I totally run over them mm. and um, uh, this one friend I know the uh, um, the um, the other personality thing that's the Myers-Briggs personality Myers-Briggs. Mm-hmm. Um, there's these um, prayers like hers would be Lord help me concentrate on one th- oh look a squirrel at a time <laughs> Um, so that was definitely, she was an in the moment kind of person. Right. Um, I don't remember what my humorous prayer was, but, uh, it's very different than that. Right. And so it's not fun to know that you've hurt a friend. And I think those have been some of the learning times to step back, to apologize, to rebuild. Right. Yeah, it is um, the self-awareness. I think that for me has also been very important to like understand how I inhabit a space. And sometimes some of that is, you know, blind spots in ways that we aren't aware, but it is really affecting, you know, other people. Um, And sometimes when you're in a space where you're like, this person has no clue what they're projecting on other people or how they're making other people feel. Um, and I think that's a, a huge responsibility on our part and a, and a huge, like, I think blessing to a community for healthy communities and healthy relationships is, you know, having that self-awareness so that you can offer, um, the best relationship possible, you know, to yourself, you know, to have grace for yourself and having grace for other people is, um, but it takes a, it, it, it is interesting because sometimes it is asking other people, how do you see me in the world? Cause we only know the one view, right? We can only see through our lens. Um, 
but sometimes we need that other perspective to have, you know, sometimes a wake up call or understand, you know, that you are impacting somebody that maybe you didn't realize, um, in that way. But, um, I'm glad that people I feel are more aware of it maybe now than before, because these are vitally important things, you know, to humans and to community and to leadership, you know, and not just steamrolling people, you know, and maybe not maliciously, but it's maybe sometimes a byproduct of our unawareness. So how does your Enneagram type relate to me? Yeah, sure. So we are somewhat connected because you're a seven, which is the enthusiast. You want to be out and live life to the very fullest. You, you know, slowing down is a hard thing for you, (laughs) right? Uh, you want to be at every single go everywhere, experience every, everything that the world has to offer, but sometimes slowing down and then also focusing on your own pain and the realities of, of how that like, uh, impacts your life is also a harder thing. Um, and then you're an eight, which is the challenger. So I am an eight, um, as well. So I, my main one is the challenger. Um, and so I mean, it just is all over Terry, like the seven that you're excited about all the things in the world. And the eight is the challenger in the sense that they want to challenge the system and they want to do something that no one has done before. And they want to disrupt the market and, you know, just colas and and eight. Um, And yeah, so you just have a very different purview of the world and you can be okay with living outside of the normative things I think that people the world places on you so so I that was my main one um but what's interesting is that I'm also a wing nine which is the peacemaker um (laughs) and so I, I, I don't like, I don't feel like I'm very like argumentative person I, I like challenging in the sense of maybe the way that I live my life, but, um, and I have no problem like pushing back on things. Right. So the challenger is going to get things done and they don't have a problem pushing back, but it's also how you push back and how you, um, make sure you're tracking with people and make sure they feel loved along the way that you aren't trying to just say, I'm going to get my, my intention at any cost, which is the challenger's sometimes an issue of theirs and they can be very blind to how they are dominating. Um, but hopefully the best of us is being aware of that and trying to, um, lead with graciousness. Uh, but they have, you know, a high capacity for getting things done. Uh, and sometimes they are leading the way with something that people don't have any precedent for so they can, you can do something really out of the box. And then the nine, like your wife said, um, is very aware, right? So they are aware of all of the numbers. They are aware of how everyone is feeling. And so they're always trying to make people feel at peace and at rest, sometimes to their own detriment. Mm-hmm. But they have the biggest awareness and biggest heart towards people and really deeply kind of understanding them and knowing them and wanting people to like, like, I don't, I don't like, um, 
not disruption. What is the word I'm looking for? Um, confrontation. So, um, like with dinner parties, like I love making sure everyone feels at home and making sure they feel welcomed and, you know, keeping an even keel with everybody around the dinner table. And so I feel myself like a big, a big part of me is that, um, Awareness. It's interesting because I, I like doing that as well. I like leading meetings and brainstormings um, and making sure that everyone feels that they can contribute and gets to contribute. Sure. So. Yeah. Yeah. We are all we are all bits and pieces of all nine. Right. We are not in our one box and our one number. Um we're very complex. So as you grow in the Enneagram also and you learn more and there's different layers and different Yeah, it's just kind of like a never ending discovery. And that's also humans. We're never ending discoveries. Um, so we'll move on to the final topic, which is also one of my favorites, uh, which is rest. And so how do we slow down? <laughs> how do we, one of my least favorite I topics. Know. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Um, but it can be, rest can be, you know, play and discovery and physical resting, um, you know, mentally being mentally challenged to engage our brains. Um, but, you know, to rest and, and, you know, Sabbath means just to stop. And so there is, you know, rhythms of rest built in to, you know, different uh, faith traditions. But the realities of we have to like our bodies have to have time to, you know, <clears throat> slow down um, and recharge. And then our brains also need time to mentally turn off and just do whatever brings you joy and pleasure. What are some practices that you have adopted in your life to be able to have time to recharge and renew yourself? Well, I do work a lot, mm -hmm. but I also can just turn it off. So um, on the weekends, I may have scheduled some work things, but if not, it's just, it's turned off. I My idea of rest though probably isn't just like laying out in the sun or sure. sitting around. Yeah, It's probably exploring my family tree. Mm -hmm. Um, we certainly love travel, mm -hmm. um, but I would, I would say on a regular basis, it's um, building, building my family tree and, and finding out the stories of ancestors and mm -hmm. that kind of thing. Can I tell you one really fun story? Yes, of course. So in 1609, <laughs> two years after Jamestown was founded, okay. my ancestor, Stephen Hopkins, got on a ship called the Sea Venture. It was one of nine ships sailing to the New World to resupply Jamestown. And they took the new southern route. From the... From, from England. From England. They left from, um, uh, from Plymouth, I think. Okay. And as they were getting closer to um, the Western Hemisphere, there was a hurricane, a storm, a tempest, and they got separated from the rest of the fleet. Uh, three days of not being able to see anything. And 
it started to lessen and they could see some land. Mm-hmm. So they headed towards it and um, logged, uh, jammed into the reef okay. outside of uh, one of the Bermuda Islands. And um, they were able to, all 105 people get off, go on shore and uh, ferry back and forth and get stuff and kind of dismantle as much as they could of the ship to take it. While they're on this island, it was a bit chaotic because um, the ship's crew, of course, they're just ship's crew. They're hired to be on a ship to take people somewhere. Mm -hmm. Now they're on land, a tropical land, where there's these birds you can go club over the head and roast and they're really good. And life is like, hey, this we don't care if we're rescued. This is Ah. is great. Um, There is the captain of the ship but they're not on a ship so he may be saying you sh- we need to do something but who wants to listen to him there's right. the new governor of virginia but they're not in virginia so who's he in charge so who's in charge becomes a big question and there are three mutiny attempts during this time one of them was fomented by stephen hopkins he wasn't able to really get anyone to go along with him but he was condemned to death um, but he pleaded for mercy and he had a wife and kids back home and he was uh, pardoned. Also on board ship was Samuel Jordan, who is an ancestor of my wife. What? And Sylvester Jordan, who what? may or may not have been a cousin to Samuel Jordan. Okay. Sylvester Jordan wrote a journal about his experience in the storm and crashing on the way to the new world and um it was published and was believed to be source material for shakespeare's play the tempest which came out in 1611. wow in shakespeare's play they're italians that get shipwrecked um and there's a mutiny led by stefano stephen in english right um so when we found out that it was pretty cool yeah. that our ancestors left on the same ship in 1609 that, uh, that is wild. Um, immortalized right. in Shakespeare's play, The Tempest. Um, that is amazing. Yeah, it's pretty fun. That's pretty cool. What would be for you if you did have an ideal day off, day of rest, whatever um, rest looks like to you, but um, if it could be here, it could be anywhere, it could be money's of no object, like one day of just your ultimate, like, day of Terry's. Just like, a day? Yeah. Mm. Could be anywhere. <sighs> Somewhere I haven't been before. Mm-hmm. Um, love to... Exploring? I've been to 47 of the politi- geopolitical country things that the world travelers come centric travelers club club lists um 47 countries countries um like in in their list of places that um like georgia is now a country but it was a place before it was a country because it's a unique geopolitical place alaska is in the unique geopolitical place so that's on that list got it on top of the United States. Right. So the U S has the U S Alaska and Hawaii as three separate things. Pieces on that list. Got it. That is also very close to 
my day of rest is like just being in a foreign country that I haven't explored before or just a day where I have, you know, little things of things I want to hit, but it's not like super scheduled and I can just wander and explore and eat something new, see something new. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds pretty good. One of the, one of the favorite things that we have done as a family in 2009 was take six months and travel to all 48 United States right. in the, um, just exploring. Mm-hmm. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any MO or mantra that you live by that you would share with us? Well, I think my life mission is to create dynamic events that enliven people. Mm-hmm. Is that what you mean? Yeah, sure. Create dynamic events that enliven people. Yeah. So that's your, what you move so towards and what Fusion Fest you. fits into that really well. And right. um, just, yeah, I always, I'm always thinking of what can we do? Like Dickens by Candlelight, my mm-hmm. wife loves a Christmas carol and... Is it now 23 years ago? Um, no one was doing it in town. You know, it's done a lot in December. And so she created this three person, three actor version to be done environmentally in a tea room Mm -hmm. with the audience sitting at tables and the action happening all around them. So we've, uh, performed that for 21 years. Right. Didn't do it last year. Uh, this year, Someone who had come all the time when she lived in Orlando and now lives in Minnesota had gotten a grant. So we were going to go to Minnesota to perform it. We've put that off to next year. Sure. Uh, but we are planning a an online version. Um, there's, there's only three actors, but over the 21 years, there's been uh, seven or eight people who have been one right. of those three actors. So this online version will have all of those people. And probably some of their kids, mm. a number of us have kids that grew up with, like Molly was one year old, the first right. year of the um, that. And also we're uh, inviting a number of um, actors of color, uh, black actors that we know to join. In, and we're going to let everybody say what character they want. Doesn't matter what gender or what race they are. Right. And, um, do an, an, an online version, probably on Christmas Eve okay. as a fundraiser for the greater Orlando performing arts relief. Gopar. Wonderful. Where would people find you online besides around town? Well, uh, my facebook page terry olson arts i suppose oh you were talking specifically about the dickens by candlelight or no no, just like if you want to like find what what you're up to um i mean those are things within that sure the best way to email is uh i'd send out a weekly update Uh that has usually three or four short little articles we can go to and get more information Mm -hmm. but about the arts in general or activities that i'm involved with um and then is fusion fest online like yes fusionfest.org fusionfest.org yeah that'd be awesome yeah thank you for taking the time and sitting with me and chatting and sharing Ah, stories my pleasure yeah this is so fun so until next time thanks for being here with me. You're welcome. Yeah.
Thank you a million times over for listening to Cocktails and Conversation Podcast. I hope you have enjoyed all of it. If you have, would you do me a huge favor and rate, comment, and subscribe for more Cocktails and Conversation? 